hi, welcome to another Pharmacy and Practice podcast. Um, so very interested to speak to um, a good friend and colleague today, um, Head of Policy at the PDA, Alima Batchelor. Um, how are you today, Alima? I'm fine, thanks, Jonathan. And uh, where, where are you beaming in from today? I'm in, I'm in rural Aberdeenshire. I'm talking to you from sunny Birmingham, and it is actually sunny today. It is very sunny. Oh. I, I, had my, I had my coffee outside this morning. It was very nice. Um, so we're keen, well, I'm keen, selfishly keen to find out lots of stuff. But first of all, a little bit about you, Alima. You've, uh, you've had a very interesting career. So what, what steps and what experience have you had that have led you to being head of policy at the PDA? Well, I've had quite a long career now. Um, I started out doing my pre-reg in hospital and worked in hospital for a year. Um, then a chain, Lloyd's, and then a bigger chain, Boots. Um, and after a few years there, decided that I wanted to go back into hospital. So I went into hospital, worked in hospital for about five years, worked my way up from part-time to full-time and ended up managing the aseptic unit, um, doing the TPN, going on the TPN ward rounds um, and looking after the haematology ward and the cancer chemotherapy as well. Um, I then chose to move out into primary care um, and I actually went to work for what was then Albury and Smethwick Primary Care Group and that was in the very start, really, of primary care pharmacies. So it was a very small organisation. I think there were about six of us to start off with. And I worked there for a couple of years and then went on to be a medication review and elderly care pharmacist for East Birmingham PCT. And um, I went around care homes there, um, providing medication review and liaising with general practitioners. Um, and after that, moved over to another PCT in Birmingham as a practice support pharmacist, did that job for a few years, then became the senior um, and finally became head of medicines for a clinical commissioning group for about three years. And it was from there that I moved to the PDA. And I was particularly because I had some experience in primary care and having pharmacists working in general practice was a, a, an increasingly large area of um, practice for pharmacists so that's how I got this job. Wow so you've you've asked tremendous uh, breadth of experience there isn't it you've you've worked in you've worked in loads of which was your favorite sector? Um, if I'm utterly honest I think probably hospital. Um, really? Though I have to say the downside of hospital what is what made me leave in that I found the on-call with a young child just a bit too much to deal with. But the actual work and the challenge in hospital I did enjoy. And it was a, it was a lovely department that I worked in. So it was like a huge family. Um, mm. And I had a lot of fun there and I learned an awful lot. Which is not to say I don't like what I'm doing now. But if... And I suppose you can have rose tinted glasses, but I do look back on my time in hospital with a great deal of pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to look back, isn't it? I've mm -hmm. never I've I've never actually worked in hospital. Um I'd like to experience it. So how is it different? Um or what was your experience of it compared to community practice, for example? 
Um, well, I think in community practice, unless you're working in a, in a, a large branch of boots, it can be quite isolating um, in that you're usually in a pharmacy on your own. Yes, you'll have um, maybe a technician or a dispenser with you, um, but actually it's all down to you and there's never really anyone to run things by. Now, there was a certain element of that being better when I worked at Boots and that I was in a big branch. So there were usually two pharmacists, maybe three pharmacists on. So you could um, throw ideas about and talk to each other and provide support. But that was much stronger in hospital. And I think in hospital, there's there's been a, a tradition over a number of years of providing support and training and training people up. So when I went into hospital, I think I started out just doing stuff in the dispensary. Then I did a bit of elderly care and used to drive out to an, an elderly care hospital. But then I was trained up and could step up. So then I did some um, a stint in ITU and in theatres. And that was sort of a new post. And then I got trained in aseptics and ended up being promoted to be in charge of the aseptics unit. And I think it was that feeling of having a whole department around you with lots of different experts, but the people that would support and train you and let you develop that was great. And then there was sort of, as I say, that the department almost family element in those days, you had 15 minutes tea break in the morning, in the afternoon and your lunch and you'd go and sit in the um, staff room and have your tea. Um, and I can still remember the like flights of mad conversation and the way we used to be crying with laughter. <laughs> and it was just a lovely place to work. Yeah, well, I've, I, as you know, I've, I worked in community for oh, seven or eight years, I think it was. And uh, yes. recently, recently I made a similar jump to you to general practice, although things are, the role is, well, the role is up for debate, isn't it? But it's it's certainly quite different to probably what, what you experienced. But the the big thing I've noticed is, and I am generalising, is the, the team thing, you know, you're, even in general practice, you're part of a, a collaborative, uh, supportive team. And um, I don't want to generalise and sort of community bash. I just wish it was different in community at times because there is no doubt that it is, uh, it is isolating, isn't it? And and there isn't the same kind of culture of uh, yes. training and development. I, I don't want to be sort of negative, but that's kind of true, you know. It it it's a shame in a way, and I wish it was different in community. And I. I know that there's, I suppose, a business ethic that underpins things, but I do think that community pharmacists are in a difficult position because quite often, particularly, I have to say now, in some of the larger multiples or in the multiples, the whole thing is around volume and speed of delivery. And my personal view is that a community pharmacy isn't actually McDonald's <laughs> and the fact that you can do it in two minutes isn't necessarily something to be proud of and that because of that we miss out on a lot of what pharmacists could offer to patients and a lot of the help that they could give them and, and I do wish there was that that nurturing and I suppose more cerebral ethic that says that we're going to search and strive for excellence by supporting our community pharmacists to provide more clinical services that that we're going to staff community pharmacies so that pharmacists are able to have those conversations with patients yeah. um, but it 
doesn't seem to be the way at the moment. But I think that's the way we should go. I think so. I think, well, I was having a conversation with somebody at the weekend and um, we were talking about this and um, I am generalising again, but, you know, working in general, the, my other observation is that things, the pace is a lot slower um, and I love working there. So I don't, again, I don't want to sound negative because people, people do pick things up in the wrong way, but um, it it is a different culture and things slow down and I find the depth of pharmaceutical care that I'm delivering in GP practice is is probably better just simply because I've more support and more time to do it. Um, I don't know how that relates to outcomes. That's N equals one, so who knows? But but I would lo- like my point is I'd love to sort of transplant what I'm doing in GP back into community, you know, and um, I don't know how to say it about GP and I, I absolutely love the people I work with. They they're just they couldn't you know, I've developed more probably in the last year and a half than I haven't since I started being a pharmacist and that's all down to them. But I feel like a welcome guest rather mm-hmm. than rather than G general practice being my home. General practice is the home of general practitioners, you know. I I'm not sure it's the home of pharm pharmacies, community pharmacy is the home of pharmacists. Yeah. But the stuff I'm learning there is just so potent and it would be even more potent to deploy that in uh, in community. And that is probably a very good segue <laughs> to maybe begin to maybe begin talking about um, some of the PDA plans. Now, you, you guys mentioned um, at a recent conference about this project in Dudley. Yes. Could you tell us a wee bit about that? Because I was really encouraged to hear that. I thought it was a, a really good good news story. Yeah. Well, I think we, we've been conscious that there's there has been a total lack of research in the area of what community pharmacy can do, but there hasn't been loads and, and some of it has been confounded by, oh yes, but those are special circumstances. We thought we would like to look at some some fairly standard services that could be offered via community pharmacy would offer real additional benefit to local patients and also take some of the pressure off local general practices. Um, So we're really lucky in Dudley that there is a pharmacy that's actually on an LPS contract rather than the the standard pharmacy contract and that already does a lot of additional services. And we're using that pharmacy as one of the pharmacies. We're also looking that we have good working relationships with the CC there and their medicines team what we plan to do is to take a group of about six to eight pharmacies and to offer a small handful of services that we think will be able to show measurable benefit things that we're looking at are things like um, measurement of blood pressure and search for and measure pulse as well to try and pick up patients who may have AF and then look to deal with those patients um, and feed them through. Now I know that in some places they've done this but then they've had to refer the patients 
back into the general practice and what we're trying to do is maybe not make additional work for general practice because I don't know about your GPs but the GPs that I know feel like they're up to their <laughs> they've had it already so they don't need us doing loads of referrals that mean extra work for them so we are looking to maybe feed in via our CCG colleagues um, to the pharmacy colleagues in the local DGH and perhaps be able to refer those patients for um, the confirmation of whether they've got AF or not. If we haven't got any local practices that do those measures and ECGs, then do them straight into the hospital to try and cut out the middleman. We're also looking at supporting um, public health campaigns. So um, in Dudley, they have um, a project looking at trying to prevent acute kidney injury, AKI, and they do use sick day rules. Now, I know there are different schools have thought about sick day rules, but they have some leaflets there. And we feel that this is something where the com community pharmacists are ideally placed because they will be getting prescriptions in that list the, the risk drugs um, for AKI if you get dehydrated. So they can check whether those patients have had a sick day rules leaflet or not. And if they haven't, provide them with the leaflet and a little bit of counselling about what they need to do. So, you know, whilst you've got um, an illness that's making you di dehydrated with diarrhoea and vomiting or a severe fever, we want you to stop taking your ACE inhibitor um, for a couple of days and then start again. So that's one of the other things that they'll be doing. We're also really interested in potentially looking at polypharmacy reviews. So we'd be selecting a smaller number of pharmacies from which um, we could provide polypharmacy medication review. Um, and we'll probably tap into some of the expertise in the CCG medicines team for that, but run those clinics out of community pharmacy. And that we feel, as you do, that there are a lot of these things that would be really well placed being offered in the pharmacy in the heart of the community, rather than uh, maybe try patients having to go up and sit and wait at the GPs who are already overstretched. There are a number of long-term conditions where a lot of the control is to do with just monitoring whether the medications are being used as prescribed, whether they're being monitored properly, and pharmacists can do that. So those are the types of things that we're looking at. Um, and we're quite excited about it. So the CCG are on board. Um, I know that Mark's been talking to PSNC, MPA, um, the local pharmaceutical committee. Um, and we're currently recruiting for um, a research fellow and they would be able to support the projects by actually doing some evaluation for us in um, conjunction with colleagues that we have at Aston University in the pharmacy school. So we'd also like to see this start to be some work towards looking at what actually produces clinical excellence in pharmaceutical care. Um, and so that will be the start of that work with Aston University. Fantastic. I, you know, I defy anyone to um... I mean, we could. That there is a lot in that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you loads of questions because it's. I'm just so interested in it. But I defy anyone to um, to not give credit to to you, Mark, at the PDA for, you know, taking the initiative, and uh, I hate the term, but <laughs> but leading the way. You know, you got you got to try. You've got to just go for it and try these things. There's there's loads within that though. Um, 
I, I think your point about uh, the wider impacts of these things. I mean, that's obviously mm. that's where the research will come in. It's quite hard yeah. to sit. It's quite hard to sell returns of investment in five, 10, 20 years to local GPs that are up to their eyes in it, aren't, isn't it, you know? Oh, well, that's right. I, I think we're lucky there in that what we do have is um, those links with the CCG team. Um, and so therefore their team are actually in the practices and have the relationships with the general practitioners. And they also have a, a clinical GP lead who has an interest in research. And so we are fortunate that in a way, the, the planets seem to be aligning quite well. So we can talk to the GPs as well about this and, and I suppose link with them and make sure that what we do doesn't make their life worse shall we say which is the last thing we want to do but obviously we want to try and improve the care and Dudley has done a, a lot of work and improved care for their patients in really deprived areas and I think this is hopefully just building on that and hopefully getting some of the the evidence at the end of it more evidence um, to build on the the research that they've already done in the past. And do you have I mean things that are coming to my mind as, as someone who's you know, done some prescribing in community pharmacy and also now actively prescribing on a daily basis. It's changed times, isn't it? I couldn't I could not imagine being a pharmacist now without without my prescription pad. It's just um yes. and only a few years ago I, I was not you know, well I'm still nervous writing prescriptions, but you know, it's just so handy. So but got a talk got I know it's early days, but gotta look at some of the the governance mm -hmm. around this. I am a pharmacist after all, cautious as ever. Yes. Um, do you think access to records is essential for this thing? Well, yes, ideally. And again, we're very lucky in that um, they do have some kit in Dudley that's used by some of their team, which means that there's access to EMIS. So obviously this is part of the negotiations we have to have with the practices, but theoretically there could be via... Um, data sharing agreement and obviously everybody signing up to to all the GDPR um, things that they need to, but that we could ensure that there is access. And so obviously that really, really facilitates intervening. And I mean, that's something I know that you will have heard of, but, but we had something called our roadmap and another document called Wider Than Medicines. Mm -hmm. And we really do feel that community pharmacists can offer a great deal to patients, but they have to have access to the patient record to do it safely. And also, I think they need to have read-write access because the practice needs to know what's going on with their patients and it needs to be on the patient's record. Yeah. Um, so yes, go on. No, no, it's it's fascinating. I mean, you were you were saying about um, earlier about the the wider impact in the the healthcare system and all the rest of it, and that we're just going to have to wait for the research. That remains to be seen. Mm. But there was a conversation I had a while ago with someone. Um, can't remember. I think it was on Twitter, and um, someone said, "Oh, ph pharmacists are really safe when they're doing minor ailments and stuff like that." And I went away and I was reflecting on that and. I think they're safe because, and this is sort of, again, don't take it the wrong way, uh, everyone, but uh, it's not negative. It's it's sort of realistic to be positive in the long run. Um, I think we don't engage often. So 
if you engage around um, prescribing and so on and so forth, you have to be okay with confirming the diagnosis and stuff like mm. that. You know, there's different levels of, of entering that arena. You may, may be at the top level where you're dealing with undifferentiated diagnoses and you'd be happy to prescribe. But there's right down at the bottom of that level where, where you're doing minor ailments and you're basically just triaging and, and either treating self-limiting things or referring. Now, mm. I think the the fun, it's just my view, but I think the fundamental success to something like this is whether you can get the community pharmacist to take the weight of responsibility of you know starting to manage patients starting to manage the pharmaceutical care and rather than kind of just referring all the time although 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 that is a that is maybe an ambition and that's a stepwise process um i do think yeah. that i was just going to say i think this the reason i'm optimistic about this project is because i think that it might start, it might open the door to enable that to happen. Our long-term ambition or what we would love to see for pharmacy is that you did have prescribing pharmacists working out of community pharmacies, but managing a workload of, pa you know, a, a caseload of patients. So the patients that have been diagnosed potentially in the general practice or maybe even by specialist pharmacist in, in the general practice or a GP, that they would get referred to pharmacists working out of community pharmacy using the consultation rooms and providing clinics to manage long-term conditions. And so, yes, they would be taking on that responsibility, but in a way, who better to, to manage the medicines-related care of patients than a pharmacist with the right training and support. Oh, definitely. And there's, you know, again, defy anyone to disagree. There's, if 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 a pharmacist is presented with someone with a diagnosis, especially a, a prescribing pharmacist, they will shoehorn them down the evidence-based route, and they'll try their best to to optimize yes the, the medicines t t towards what what the guidance and what the evidence states that, that it's just in our dna to do that yeah um yeah so one other what what about um i was just thinking one thing i've benefited greatly from in general practice is um supervision mm. so you know like um so i do like post exacerbation respiratory clinics and i also do some on the day uh, general right. practice sessions which is really interesting because anyone can come through the door but so I mean, that's was, really scary but anyway do go on <laughs> yeah well I mean anything can come through the door in, in mm. community and that, that kind of goes back to my True. point around do we engage or not you know mm -hmm. um, so but to, to get to do that I've documented my competence I've and I've been supervised probably for nine months to a year by the GPs mm -hmm. So yeah. is there is there any kind of similar set up planned for this? Well, there's certainly a, a a good amount of training, but I think what we should say is that in this this first instance, everything is likely to be done to um, pre-drafted and produced and agreed protocols. So there's going to be a, a limited amount of individual discretion to sort of go off piste. And if we're looking at the, the blood pressure monitoring and, and um, pulse detection, there'll be um, machinery provided and training and, you know, they'll, they'll do the measurements and depending on whatever ranges we give them, they'll 
act accordingly. We're looking at um, one of the other things I didn't mention earlier is uh, antimicrobial stewardship, I suppose, and looking at some of the antimicrobials that we wouldn't expect to see prescribed in primary care and having interventions and checks there. And if it's that they haven't chosen the first line treatment for UTI in Dudley, then the, the investigation would be, well, you know, why is that? Um, and they might well intervene. Um, the, other, the next thing that we're looking at is for them all to be doing inhaler counselling. That's one of my big bugbears, the, the lack of inhaler counselling the, the anywhere. I, I mean, I think any clinician who comes into contact with someone that uses inhalers should be saying, show me how you use your inhaler, because it just doesn't happen. And we still get the, the huge number of, of asthma deaths, etc. So we would want all of our pharmacists using in check or something similar um, and counselling patients on their device. And then there are the sick day rules. So actually, as I said, this is quite a a modest um, and discreet little group of interventions that we're doing. The polypharmacy, slightly different, but again, I think that's going to be not at the level perhaps where the people that were doing it are going straight into, right, I'm going to cross all of that off and maybe prescribe you something new. Um, there will be experienced clinical pharmacists who are used to doing medication review, but they'll mm -hmm. do that in the way they've done it almost as part of the, the CCG medicines optimization team. And I think that what you're talking about, which is what our ultimate goal is, which is to have prescribing pharmacists in community, I think we need several steps on the way to get there. Um, and I'm really excited about the fact that people are seriously now looking at proper foundation training yeah. for pharmacists, which I, my personal view is should rotate through community, general practice and secondary care so that you get well-rounded pharmacists who that can then make an informed decision in a way about, well, you know, this is where I want my career to be, but who haven't had any doors shut through sort of specialising too early or getting stuck in a, in a community pharmacy and maybe not feeling they can move on or vice versa. So I think before we have loads of people out there prescribing in general practice, we would be wanting to see some form of joint training. And if you're going to be a prescriber, as with if you're a, um, a medical prescriber, you have to do some time and earn your spurs, as it were, by working in a hospital um, getting some experience in general practice in a training practice, we would want to see all of that provided for pharmacist prescribers as well. If it's what GP and doctor prescribers get, then why not pharmacist prescribers? I totally agree, and and I've I've faith that the the uh, the current team at the the Royal Pharmaceutical Society will absolutely deliver on that. They're, there's they've accelerated their ambition around mm. foundation recently, and 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 this. Uh, you know, adding depth to the to the level of training and development that pharmacists go through. You're absolutely right. If you used to be, if you you know, if you got into community pharmacy, especially in a multiple, there was the odd piecemeal bit of training, mm -hmm. uh, discrete bundles of training, but there was never not not in my experience. There's never been a you know a career pathway as such. And but not I do really, think no. I, I think that needs to change. Um, but yeah, it sounds sounds really interesting. So um, 
And what are the time frames then, Alima? Again, I know it's early days. It is early days. Um, the the advert um, for the research fellow is out there, so we've already had um, a fair bit of interest, but we're hoping for lots of applications. Um, and then once they're in place, we've already started negotiations or discussions with our colleagues in Dudley about uh, sort of preliminary, well, yes, we're all happy. So we're looking to book a meeting um, in the near future to now look at practicalities. So if we're going to do these five areas, what SOPs do we need? Who else do we need to talk to? Who's going to talk to the GPs? We've said that we'll go and um, talk to the pharmacies involved um, or the pharmacies that we want to invite to be involved. But our aim, I think, is if we can to get the, the project proper up and running for the autumn. So maybe September sometime once we've got all of our ducks in a row. And then run for hopefully six months, I think, in the first instance and take it from there. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for for um, as I say, there's loads in that, and and I'm sure mm. we'll we'll come back to it again and again. Um, certainly an area close to my heart, and delighted it's happening in community. You know, it goes back to what I said right at the start of the conversation. That's uh, do you know delivering those interventions and um, personal opinion, but getting prescribers working safely, uh, yeah. properly trained with supervised. Uh, mm. Uh, appropriately within communities as a great goal to go after so so well done yeah. um the other the other thing I was going to ask you about was the this advertising campaign right that that i'd heard about what's that all about is that uh, that's been that was launched I, at the conference as well that's right i think that's based on some data that that mark had um which was done around focus groups which rather depressingly um, found out that for members of the public or patients, I think they were asked when did they feel they had their 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 money's worth when visiting a GP, and it's when they had longer than you know seven or ten minutes as a consultation, and they felt shortchanged if they got less than that time. And when did they feel they got the best value from community pharmacy? When they got their tablets in less than three minutes, or words to that effect, which ah. for us is depressing, shall we say. And, and to me, or to us, showed a lack of possibly appreciation or understanding of what the actual function and importance and value of a pharmacist is in the dispensing you know dispensing operation that it's not just handing over the tablets and and not just that they maybe even checked it though i'm not sure that people even are bothered about them checking it if they want their stuff in two minutes but it's th that real value and so i think the the aim of the campaign is to to say to patients this is what pharmacists are for. This is really important. You know, medicines are one of the, the biggest interventions that are made in the NHS. But we find that, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, 7 and 15% of patients might end up in hospital because something's gone wrong with their medicines, whether they're not taking it as prescribed, whether they're taking too much, whether they've had an adverse drug reaction. And actually, the people that could prevent those things happening are the pharmacists. And we should be tapping in and using those pharmacist skills. So I think that's what's basically underpinning 
um, that campaign. So to try and change the public's perception of pharmacists and actually get them valuing and seeking out the expertise that's there on the high street for them to use. I think it sounds like a great idea, great great service to the profession. I think, uh, yeah, the customers or patients don't often understand how you feel when you're when you're about to put mm. tablets tablets in the bag. You know the 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 myriad of processes that have gone before. I used to work with a pharmacist that <laughs> when when things got busy in the shop, she used to say, just very politely, she'd walk out and say, "You can get it quick, or you can get it right." Yes, exactly. And, and that, that was a very succinct, quite passive aggressive way mm -hmm. to inform yeah. the customers that actually we're not it's not sweeties we're dealing with, that they they're they're not um normal uh, or drugs yeah. aren't normal pieces of uh items mm. of commerce, you know. So that yes. sounds good. Yep. Yeah. Very good. So and what else is happening at the PDA then broadly? You've got your conference coming up. Um Yes, we've got the PDA um, National Conference coming up at the end of March. Um, we're off to a conference in Northern Ireland this week, um, which is looking at moving from supply to service. So again, looking at that sort of community pharmacy stepping away slightly from just the, display, the, the supply function and looking at what other services we can offer. Um, and that... Um, subject will sort of be run again in Wales in May I think and then in Scotland in November so there are those we will have a stand at the Clinical Pharmacy Congress again and I think be doing um, three different se sessions at that show um, so that's keeping us quite busy really preparing for um, the researcher to join us um, and then some of the other stuff is, is I suppose around indemnity and looking at how we continue to support our general practice pharmacists um, as the um, state indemnity scheme comes to yeah, the Yeah that's yeah Oof, there's, that's that's a whole other po that's a whole other series of podcasts <laughs> that one. Yes yes um, I, I think the key thing there that that um, we want is for people to to understand that the the state scheme is great and it means that patients and their families don't have to worry about getting compensation if harm has occurred but all of the the supporting bits that doctors get from their medical defense organizations and people get from the PDA so things like the legal advice the employment advice the disciplinary advice the what to do if you've been reported to the GPHC all those sorts of things the people coming to you to sit in with you at a disciplinary none of that is covered by the state scheme so it's making sure that people understand and also that people don't suddenly stop an insurance-based scheme before um, any handover has been arranged because the state scheme starts on the 1st of April but it doesn't deal with any incidents that happened before then and you may well not know but these incidents you might not find out that something's gone wrong for 12 months more than 12 months um, and I think people have years to put in a claim so if you stop your current um, insurance-based scheme 
thinking, oh, I can go on to the state scheme and something then happens and someone complains about something you did in 2015, you're not covered. So there are things that we're in negotiation with, with Department of Health, NHS England, to make sure that all of those potential loopholes have been closed so that we don't find patients and pharmacists, doctors sort of falling between two stools and coming to grief, if you see what I mean. Yes, so okay. it's a really complex area um, with a lot going on. Um, yeah, well, so that I... takes up a fair bit of time as well. At the risk of letting my uh, impartial editor's cap slip, um, I certainly won't be cancelling my PDA membership anytime soon, uh, regardless. And I know there's no no suggestion that this is going to be happening in Scotland, but um, I think I think the, the added value of uh, of what yeah. what the PDA I mean, offers yeah. is, is quite important, yeah. isn't it? Well, yeah, and we're obviously doing a, a review of the policies we have, as I say, to to make them fit for purpose in the new world as well so that um, there may be some slight changes so that they sort of fit around that state-backed scheme more elegantly and, and take that into account um, and that's all subject to discussions and a lot of work that's going on now burning the midnight oil making sure that um, we have policies that are fit for purpose and that still go on to provide all of those other things that we spoke that i just spoke about very good now diane uh, she'll be on my case if I don't give a plug to the to the conference. So it's happening in Birmingham. It on is. The, on the 30th of March, 30th, 31st. And... That's correct. Um, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting agenda, I think. We've got people coming from France to talk about that famous French model that... Um, <laughs> that our Secretary of State said he was so enamoured of. So to let you know what community pharmacy in France is like, and it is quite interesting, actually. It's different. Um, mm -hmm. um, we've got people coming from Scotland to speak. Um, we'll be talking about all sorts of issues related to pharmacy, including uh, Mark Pitt doing his, his not world famous, but horror stories. So obviously, because we get a lot of calls and advice lines um, we do see the the interesting side of pharmacy life and so there'll be some cases that he'll share with the audience oh, yeah. um, uh, we'll be I think we'll be talking a bit about um, state indemnity it should be um, a really good couple of days and obviously a good chance for people to network and then we've got the um, the dinner with proceeds going to pharmacist pharmacist support in the evening so yeah we're hoping it'd be a really good couple of days yeah i'm looking forward to it and um we, we were lucky enough to do do a few warm-up podcasts with uh uh, uh professor sorry uh lawrence brown from from california yes. of course yes um, that's really exciting that he's flying in to talk um and he's talking about patient perception because um, yeah. he did some work around changing patient perceptions over in the us so that should be really interesting presentation um, and then we've got um niall who um, had experience in the airline industry and he's going to be talking about risk and risk management um, and how you might um, transfer some of the techniques that they've used in the airline industry to make it safer into pharmacy so yeah really varied yeah Ni um, niall's niall's area of, of interest is is in the risk and, and yeah. learning from aviation is very interesting he's yeah. um He's going to be hard to upstage because he's he's a medical doctor, he's a yes. he's a he's an airline pilot, 
and, yep. and my wife assured me that he's he's good looking as well so oh i didn't uh, know that last bit well. <laughs> apparently so <laughs> Apparently okay. so. I'll take her word for it, but um, yeah. it's all it's all very annoying. Um, but we'll uh, no, I'll look forward to um, to coming along to the conference as well. And and thank you very much for speaking, Alima. It's been uh, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. And thank you for taking the time. I was particularly interested in the Dudley thing, and uh, I will watch. And I'm sure many others will watch with interest as that develops. Yeah. Thanks, then. It was great talking to you. Likewise. See you soon. I'll see you at the conference. Okay then. Yes. See you then. Bye, Jonathan. Bye.